ಮನುಮಾಗ್ರಜಮುರೂಪುರಿಮ್ಮಾಧುರಿಂಗೋಷ್ಠಾವತಿಂಧಾಕುಂಡಿಬರಾಧಿಕಮಧಾವಸ ಪ್ರತಿಜ್ಞಾಪಾಯಾಶ್ರೀಗುರುಂತ ಅಜೀಮುಕ್ತಕುಲೈರುಪಶ್ಯಾಮನಂಪರಿತಸ್ವಂಪರಿಣಂಸಂಶ್ರಯಾಮೇ ಅಜಾನುಲಂಬಿತಾಬುಜೋಕನಕಾವದಿಕೀರ್ತನೈಕಿತರೋಕಮಲಾಯತಕ್ಷಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣಕರುಣಾಸಿಂಧೋದೀನಬಂಧೋಜಗತ್ಪತೆ ಗೋಪೇಶ ಗೋಪೀಕಾಕಂತರಾಧಾಕಂತನಮಸ್ತುತೆ ರಾಧೆ ಬೃಂದವನಾಶೇಕರುಣಮೃತವಾಹಿನಿ ಕೃಪಯಾಜಪಾದ್ಯಾದ್ಯಾದ್ಯಾದ್ಯಾದ್ಯಾದ್ಯಾದ್ಯಾದ್ಯಾದ್ಯಾದ್ಯಾದ್
I try always to to have one lecture at least per week in one of the two languages, Spanish or English, so nobody gets too angry with me. So when I generally visit English-speaking countries, I try to keep my weekly Spanish. So now we continue. We start with the English one, not only for because of that, but also as a way of uh, connecting from other from other place, from a new place, mm -hmm. also with the new Tadatmya Sangha recently uh, officially inaugurated and as a way of getting together once a week for those who feel like, feel part of this devotional alliance and trying to share in a little bit more personal way via Zoom, seeing each other's face and names and, and getting together for basically inquiring about the importance of what we are trying to do. Know who we are, what's this life project, this bhakti project, and which may be the the more important things that we need to share uh, on a weekly basis, at least. Of course, the ideal is to share on a daily basis, heart to heart, every single moment and breath. But at least once a week is a good timing <laughs> for catching up, so to say, and seeing each other's face. So I, I hope I may be able to. To keep with these meetings on a weekly basis, as you may know, eventually when I start to travel and change time zones, it may become a little bit more challenging. Uh, but we'll try our best. So, so here we are. Basically, welcome again. Thank you so much for for being present, for your attention, for your uh, presence. Not only physical presence, but presence is something way beyond the physical. Uh, that ultimately has to do with all our faculties engaged in, in bhakti, mm -hmm. real presence, full presence. So that's what we are trying to invoke in this particular weekly stagostis, not only from my place, from your place, to create this collective um, alchemy, where all together are contributing with your unique flavor, your unique ingredients, your unique individuality uh, to make up for the collective recipe, so to say, that we are trying to prepare and through which we are trying to make some offering that may be for the pleasure of Hari Guru Vaishnavs. So you are a crucial spice in the masala. Please don't neglect that. <laughs> it will be a quite a complex masala, so I hope you may add your own stuff in the proper sense of the term, because of course too much masala also spoils the whole meal. <laughs> So we want every, every everything in its own place. Hmm? Diversity is the spice of life, but too much spice maybe also. So we, we have to remind each other about our diversity, but also on the foundation of unity, on the foundation of this non-dual uh, ground, existential ground that all of us are connected with hmm? or constellating around, hmm? as, as the Srimad Bhagavatam says, Advaigyan Tattva. Reality, tattva reality is defined in the Bhagavad as Advaigyan, as non-dual consciousness, as I like to describe it, undivided wholeness. Now, reality ultimately is undivided wholeness. The only problem is when we start to see everything fragmented through dualistic lens. So again, weekly meetings are, among other reasons, to remind each other how much we are part of a common foundation of undivided wholeness. And 
to promote this wholeness in all the aspects of our being, as you may know, is a very crucial emphasis in, in the radical personalism book and series, trying to attain not only holiness, but wholeness. Wholeness in the context of, or holiness in the context, holiness in the context of wholeness, to make a play of words. And yeah, inspire each other to fall, to be more in love with reality, to be more in love with the with reality, the beautiful, as Sri Lassidhar Maharaj will point, Sri Krishna, reality, the beautiful. Hmm? Even if we have, haven't had yet first official meeting and darshan, having heard the flute and so on and so forth, by properly talking about God, reflecting about him, uh, internalizing our commitment with the divine, uh, that's part of our purvarag. Um, purvarag in Sanskrit is a term for the type of separation that happens before actually meeting the beloved. So it, it's something like falling in love with the person, even before having seen the person. In our tradition, the listening, the hearing part is so crucial about that. The famous example being, when there are so many, but one of them that comes to mind is Rukmini. So Rukmini hears about Krishna without ever meeting him, and she falls in love with him, absolutely. So that's the power of Harikata. You can listen from the proper place with the proper attitude, and, and we can foster this, this perpetual falling in love, basically. Because, again, love is not so much about... Today I read one nice quote that one friend from uh, New Zealand shared with me that was about love is not so much about... Well, I don't have... Let's see if I have the quote here, literally. Mm. It says something like, the most important aspect of love is not in giving or the receiving, it's in the being. Mm -hmm. When I need love from others or need to give love to others, I'm caught in an unstable situation. Being in love, rather than giving or taking love, is the only thing that provides stability. Mm -hmm. And this being in love means seeing the love all around me. So I like the point of, yeah, being in love, no? remaining in that state, and, and love by its own nature and definition is, is ever-evolving. Mm. So you can never be in love enough, especially if the object of love is the perfect object of love, which Sri Krishna, Sri Rupa Goswami establishes. No? In one sense, his whole Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is about establishing Krishna, Raja Krishna in particular, and by extension Sri Chaitanya did, establishing him as the perfect object of love. So once the perfect object of love is established, uh, we can express love toward the perfect object and we can have an experience of being in love perfectly. Mm -hmm. So these meetings are all about that also. <laughs> How we can like, like foster a further falling in love mm -hmm. with, with the nature of the ultimate reality. That's, that's the only coherent coherent place from which to practice Krishna Bhakti, basically. We don't want to be practic practitioners from a place of intimidation or fear, social pressures, uh, attempt to fit in. That's not, that's not the proper motivation. That's not the proper intention. Bhakti is very intentional. It's all about anukul, anukul yena krishna anusilanam bhakti rut. It's all about intention. Which intention do we have for being here? Today, being here, alive, existing. What's the intention for existing? <laughs>
what's the intention behind our existence that allows for us to exist? There's there's some intention that allows for us to exist. <laughs> so basically, the meaning of life has to do with that. To discover uh, what's the intention behind my my existence, so to say, right? So again, these weekly meetings. This is just some introductory reflections that came. It was not in my. I don't have any script here from which I'm reading. Just came, but I, you will have time to present your questions. I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, some some reflections and and why we are here every week. No, I mean it's it's not forced. It's not. You don't have. You need to sign any paper. Like the same way I I try to define the membership in Tadatmia. No, you don't. You you won't receive any stamp on your fourth page, on your face or anything. It's just about having a certain intentions, having a certain desire to participate in life in bhakti from a certain place. And when you have that desire, that that takes you somewhere, that takes you to a certain particular place where you will find other people in that same particular place. Mm -hmm. It's like the it's like when like when Krishna is playing his flute. Mm -hmm. And and the gopis are hearing the name of their names inside the flute sound, the sound of the flute. Each gopi will hear their own name in the song sound of song of the flute. And they will run behind the, the sound of the flute and they will meet so many other gopis there without knowing, like, oh, you're also here. Oh, you're also here. <laughs> they 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 follow a particular call, a particular desire, a particular way of existing, and they that took them to a place where they eventually ended up discovering their their tribe, so to say. You know? The Gopi Bastra Harana Lila is the same thing. You know, gopis for a whole month worshipping Katyayani, praying, may Krishna be my husband, and doing all this monthly tapasya. But just like a very personal, private plan, and so many of them were doing the same. So when the last day comes, and they, they, they are going... To the Yamuna to celebrate the conclusion, they they find each other. With, oh, you are also here. You are also here. Mm -hmm. So that that's how sangha should happen organically, basically. That that's the way that a sangha should form no? and should maintain itself. No? There is a very there is tadatmya. There is like one hearted one heartedness. There is like empathy. There is a unity of hearts, aligning of how to live my life, how to practice. And that takes me to a certain place where I happen to find other people in that same place. So that's what we are trying to to foster, hopefully, to nourish, not only through these uh, gatherings every Saturday, but also through whatever we are doing and hopefully through whatever activities we may be able to offer to all of you uh, through, the, through the notion of Tadatmia, so to say. So anyhow, a brief introduction regarding what we are supposed to do here every single week of our lives, maybe, let's see, <laughs> and every single day of our lives. Again, don't take this just as a weekly thing, but it's always very important. Just like if, I don't know, every year we celebrate Gorpur name, but hopefully the celebration or, or whatever, Nityananda Triodasi will come sooner. And hopefully it's not a one-day one affair. No, it's not like, okay, once in a year, let's remember Nityananda Prabhu. No, the day before, I don't care. The day after the celebration, I forgot. But that day, Jai <laughs> no, that That's not so coherent. 
Uh, so the idea is, okay, let's let's prepare our hearts and mind for him half a year before the celebration. And then you, you reach the proper day. And then after that day, okay, let's, this is overflowing and let's continue the afterthought for another half a year. So when you end that half a year, you already start the half a year of preparation for the next year. <laughs> so in that sense, you create like a, a continuous flow of absorption to give, to put it in one way, of course, I'm not establishing here any standard from now on, all of you have to do it like this. But my point is we are meeting once a week, but hopefully what may come from these meetings is, is, is an overflow that will continue sprinkling and ornamenting the rest of our week, tomorrow, Sunday, Monday, and when, when it's almost after, when the, the sprinkling, how to say, may feel like it's stopping, hopefully it doesn't. It has the potential to never stop, but if we feel stopped, we have a next meeting. And if it stopped, you can anticipate the next meeting. So that creates its own uh, sprinkler overflowing. So again, it's a discipline of our minds and hearts how to keep the current alive. No? As we always say, we are trying to be members of a living school. This is a living uh, current. Dhara. Dhara means current. So a current is always flowing. That's the thing. Now you sometimes our lineage is called as Bhaktivinot Dhara. The current of Bhaktivinot. So a current is something that by definition should never stop. Now, if you have a current that is stagnated, it, it, it you need another name for that. You can no longer call it a current. <laughs> so a current is has to continue in its movement, upward, inward, in whatever there is always a descending movement. And if you repeat dhara many times, enough times you will find a surprise that current, the word current dhara becomes radha. Not dhara, 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 dhara. So she's the one who ultimately love personified this. Is that current? We want to swimming forever. Mm -hmm. So that's it. Those are the rules of the game. I wanted just to mention them. So you don't, you don't think that, you don't say that oh, nobody told me. <laughs> so cool. So are, are there any questions? Is there any question you may like to? To share a question or a topic, you may feel the need to to go deeper into. And as I always say, there are, there are no full questions. If a question is important for you, uh, there is something important to be said in that regard. So, yeah, you can, un and I think you can un unmute yourself, uh, and and you can present your question directly if you want. Prasangi raised her hand, so maybe she you has a question. Want us to raise our hands? I don't see. If you, you can also to... raise your hand. There is a. I think there is even a. a, a I don't know a button in Zoom that you it says yeah. raise hand, sure. right? I'm sure. doing it now. Yeah. yeah, I'm raising my hand there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We can do that. Okay. So that's oh, also my... practical. You can raise the hand like this, like Anutam Chitra did already. So we will go to your question, Rasangi. You did it. Uh, in 3D, the raising of the hand, and then we go to Anutam Chitra's question. Yes, I want to say how grateful I am that we're together. And I've been part of the sisterhood for a while. It's so nourishing to my heart. It's a dream come true, really. After 52 years as a devotee, 
I feel like oh, dreams do come true. And this is part of it. So um, I, I'm going back to the beginning of your book. Um, I'm on page nine. No, I'm just fascinated with the way you presented the need for this, why we want to do this, you know, that because Krishna is perfectly human, we also need to become more perfectly human. And the way you um, speak about his personalness, realness, aliveness, and that's, and then you know, that brings into play the, the, the healing that we need to do. You know, the healing that's okay to do. Because for so many years, we none of us were encouraged to do that. That was mm-hmm. not like part of the agenda of being a devotee. And so um, it's just mind-blowing to me, you know, that you've brought this in so solidly to um, take advantage of, to use as a tool to become more like Krishna, healing, you know, the parts of us that are wounded and block us from bhakti. So I'm just so happy and I I think it's brilliant, you know, that you you have made that such a part of this group, the Sangha. And I'm excited to see how it unfolds <clears throat> and how it's being taken advantage of and used in our Sangha in person and online, whatever way it comes. So we can offer mm-hmm. that to the all our wounded brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and elders too. Okay. Thank you so much for your question, sir. I mean, it was not a question, Rasangi. It was a, it's always a question. Whatever we say, it always opens up the door for saying something else. So in that sense, it's a question, but it was a words of appreciation. So thank you. It's not my own merit. It's just... Probably I needed to go through my own 25 years of witnessing a few considerable dysfunctions here and there <laughs> and me not being totally free from them either. So to gradually get to a place more and more and more and more and more to to to, to be able to articulate a few things that I'm not saying is the final articulation. It's just, as I mentioned in my book, just part of an ongoing conversation that we need to continue articulating further and further how we can how we can continue being devotees for the right reasons, as I mentioned in the book, you know, and and and, in, and integrating integrating all the layers that need to be integrated because bhakti is about yeah integration. Bhakti is not about rejecting anything, as you have heard from me just like three thousand times already, <laughs> and you will continue hearing about that. And I like what you mentioned. Okay, Krishna is fully human. Krishna is. I mean, we we want to be like Krishna in that sense. No, it's not like emphasizing wholeness and humanity is something that has not to do with Krishna. No? But the more we emphasize this integration, the more we are emphasizing get closer to who, to who Krishna is. No? Like Krishna is a perfectly integrated being. No? Krishna is not a, a dysfunctional god, so to say. No? <laughs> no? Krishna is not a divinity that needs to do psychotherapy, so to say. So he's perfectly human, perfectly He's human, but he's perfectly human. He's divine and he's perfectly divine. So, of course, if you want to relate to such a person, we have to be aligned with that. And, of course, we say that it sounds like obvious. No, it's obvious. Yeah, if the person is fully human, fully divine, 
but it's interesting how yeah for for some time for some of us that that doesn't come as something as obvious as it is no so that also points to why those things that should be obvious were not obvious for five four decades <laughs> no and and we have to recalibrate the system in that sense no because ideally those things that are the most obvious and clear and should be naturally concluded by everyone if that's not happening uh, there is something that needs to be paid attention to in that connection. So, so yeah. And, and again, this is constant conversation. Again, I, I will never like to to create this this feeling of conclusiveness. No, like okay, this is it. Nothing else. Final word. Nothing else can be said. Here is everything. No, because we are again, we are part of an ongoing conversation. That's. On, on this topic and on everything, you get to Golok Vrindavan, you enter into an ongoing conversation there. No? It's not that Krishna has the last word on one, on one day. The next day he has to figure out some new words to make up for his rendezvous, how to meet with Radha, or how to justify not meeting with Sri Radha. <laughs> no, it's an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing um, expression of creativity. Basically, uh, love has a lot to love can be synonymous with constant ongoing creativity. So we have to be very creative where we are now here in how we approach, uh, how we can, how we choose to conceive and approach bhakti. So, yeah, anyhow, you, you didn't ask me to say anything, but just. No, I wanted to speak about that. I, 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 absolutely. And I wanted to read one sentence from your book that I think encapsulates this. To meet the demands of radical personalism, to meet the necessities of reality itself, everything must be alive at this point, vibrant, ongoing, and in constant evolution. It's so uh, mind-expanding. It's so opening, as it feels to me. You know what I mean? Of of the direction we want to go in, and 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 what we need to do. Hopefully, we'll be there so we can do it. We can continue to do that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Okay. I'll go to Anu Township because her hand must be tired. It has been raised for the last 10 minutes. So we continue with Anu Township and then I have Nicholas also raising his hand. So yes, you can you can unmute yourself, Anu Township, please. Yes, yes, Maharaj. Harikshna Maharaj. Pleasure. Very, very grateful you. that uh, uh, you've started this online Sangha. Uh, and uh, also for sharing your journey throughout on YouTube channel and uh, in the form of your book, because I resonate so much with that journey. And uh, I think I'm learning a lot of lessons from your personal reflections and your realizations through what you've been through. So very grateful for that. And uh, the moment you announced this Ishtagorti online uh, Q&A, I was like, there's no way I'm missing this. So... Although it's, it's quite, it's quite late, although it's quite late for you, you are in Karnataka, yeah. right? No, so, I'm in yeah. Chennai. Yeah, in Chennai. Sorry, yeah. yeah, but it's still like well, yeah. like nine thirty, almost ten p.m. So, yeah, to the Indian yeah. ones, it it was the latest. Sorry for that, but <laughs> I try to put everyone in, including the ones in New Zealand who has a very particular timing. So, thank you for joining. Not at all, Maharaj. It's worth it. <laughs> so, thank you. Uh, so my question uh, uh, is, uh, this is one thing that I've often heard uh, 
in the community of uh, devotees that uh, I'm, I'm amongst whom i am practicing devotional service with so um, on from multiple uh, sources there are references given on how um, preaching is the highest form of um, let's say welfare activity or charity in one sense uh, now for example uh, some of them quote yare dekha dekha tare kaha krishna upadesh no, like so when i hear um, such um, you know quotes uh, what happens with me is that uh, when i'm engaged in some other service let's say i'm painting something or let's say i'm cooking or uh, doing something else uh, it's suddenly sort of there's a dissonance that okay this is the highest but then i'm doing something else like is it really worth investing time on like for example painting is something i really like doing but then there are moments where i question am i really wasting time in doing this or mm. should i be preaching should i be doing some form of preparation or let's say the intellectual work for example um let's say memorizing shlokas in order to quote from shastras should i be doing something like that so there is this dissonance happening that you know this is ideal but then i am not doing what is it's it's so how do i sort of uh, put that in perspective or it, mm. there's so much guilt surrounding doing something else besides what is ideal so any mm. insights on that maharaj any perspective mm. on that mm. yeah thank you for your question and i've heard that question a few hundred times already so you are not alone welcome to the tribe <laughs> um so yeah basically there are different ways to attain perfection the goal of life is to love krishna let's make that clear once and for all the goal of life is not anything else the goal of life is to attain pure love and as i mentioned pure love by nature is ever expanding so you never attain it completely <laughs> you can always attain it more and more and more so it's an ongoing goal no because that's an important point no just that's a different conversation probably but when we think about perfection what's perfection no because many times we may think of perfection as something like an end point with no further development so to say you reach that and and that's it hmm? uh you follow my point no? so we are presented with a very dynamic idea of perfection which allows for a constant growth and a constant expansion hmm? so that that i want to make it clear even when i say the goal of life is love for, for god be careful how you conceive that because we may be quick to think okay i don't have love for god now but once i have it i'm done and i have it and i cannot have it more than that what i have it at that particular point but no perfection by definition can become me more and more perfect in its own nature so <clears throat> the word prachar sometimes translated as preaching although that's not accurate but we have to use some words so the, that word has been chosen i'm not blaming whomever chose that uh, but the point is what we understand again it's a simple point but what do we understand by words 
<clears throat> because if by preaching I I understand I have to whatever increase the number of members in the community or get more donations for, for some people that's preaching for some people preaching is we have to increase the numbers of money entering to the community we have to have more people we have we have to it starts with we have to so that's that's going against the nature of the word prachar it's not like a, a proselytizing campaign to convince people of things that they don't want to be convinced of or to convince others of things that i'm not i'm not enough convinced myself because that can happen also in the name of preaching i'm trying to make you a devotee so by you becoming a devotee you convince me further that i should be a devotee because i'm not so convinced myself actually so i need the whole the whole whatever village becoming godi vaishnav so somehow they validate and confirm to me that i should be a godi vaishnav because my faith is very weak and i'm not convinced I, I'm convincing all of you by force almost. <laughs> so you convince me in return. <laughs> and externally that can seem, oh, you have such a strong faith. You are trying to convince the whole village. But actually all that's talking about how weak is your faith in those cases. So that's a big topic. I talk, talked about that in my book, I think in the section on radical enrich. I think a radical outreach. I don't remember which word I used, but it's important to understand that prachar it means, as I always say, achar means behavior, conduct, conduct, and pra means something very special, something very good. So prachar means a very special type of behavior. Prachar doesn't mean convincing others, means you have impeccable, coherent example, fully aligned, mind, body, words, not fully maybe, but you're trying to align as much as you can. To be coherent, again, that's a good word, coherent. Coherence. I say something, I do what I say. I think something, I say what I think. <laughs> and if there is some dissonance there, then why? Why I'm not able to, why I'm not willing to say what I'm thinking? What, what I'm thinking? Why I'm not able to do what I'm talking about? What I'm talking about? <laughs> because if everything is aligned, there will be again a current flowing. I, I don't have any problem to to say what I think and do what I say. So prachar means you are giving that powerful example, and that in itself is what we call preaching. It's not so much about increasing numbers and people and members. It's just you are a living embodiment of the teaching, and that becomes like a pandemic, so to say. <laughs> No, it becomes contagious. As I always give the example of Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu, he converted the the, the greatest non-devotee, so to say, of, of on the planet Earth, <laughs> Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, Jnani, very logical, hard, hot head person, impersonalist, and he converted him. How? By Achar. Or by prachar, by a very special type of behavior. He didn't say a word, and he just sat in front of him for a week without saying one word in silence, and he just changed the heart of Sarvabhoma. His example was so powerful, he didn't need to say anything. So that's preaching. That's pra that's prachar, sorry. And my point is, sometimes when we say preaching, we may have a very different idea of what actually prachar means. So sometimes we may need to get accustomed to using the original words 
that may help us to bear in mind the original meaning of the words. Because sometimes in translation, some other ideas get in the way. And sometimes we ended up thinking, I don't know, I've, I've, I've seen the devotees saying, okay, let's go preaching. And sometimes preaching was collecting money. And but that's very different from having an ideal example that will be epidemic. <laughs> if I just bring the money every day, I, I'm doing my part. Or if I'm bringing certain numbers, but it's not about numbers. Nobody will ask us about numbers at the end of our life. So I can understand. I mean, I'm not against sharing the teaching, just in case. <laughs> uh, that's 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 a, a part of Mahaprabhu's movement. The breadth, Mahaprabhu's movement has a breadth has some depth, and both things should coexist properly. Actually, when there is proper depth, naturally it will, again, reach others. So, <clears throat> but I've, I've seen that sometimes this emphasis have, has been made in certain societies or center sections of some societies. I'm not blaming anyone. Uh, I'm just trying to, to say that the emphasis on preaching it's okay if you understand preaching as prachar. No. As long as you understand preaching as prachar and prachar as having a very deep example which comes from a very deep practice, <laughs> then I'm okay with you using the word preaching and emphasizing that as the essence. <laughs> but if that's divorced from the actual meaning of the word, then your, your distorted idea on preaching will get in the way of what the actual meaning of prachar means. And we may end up obsessed again with just proselytizing and evangelizing and converting the whole world for the wrong reason, from a place of fear, lack of faith, intimidation, uh, belong, fitting into a group, oh, I have to do this because if I don't do this, I'm not so good. If I don't do this, as you mentioned, I may not be engaged in the highest thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, and, and, and prachar, again, I will use prachar just in case. Prachar is defined sometimes as para upakar, you know, the greatest welfare activity. But again, greatest welfare activity means you are giving, sharing with others Krishna consciousness. But you can only share Krishna consciousness as much as you are Krishna conscious. So, I mean, if I'm not Krishna conscious, how will I share Krishna consciousness? And there are degrees of being Krishna conscious. It's not that you are or you are not. No, so you can just extend to others what you have allowed that. Well, you can only extend to others with what has extended in, inside yourself. You can spread Krishna consciousness around if Krishna consciousness is spread inside of you. You can only do outreach as as much as you have done inreach, whatever you whatever term you want to use. <laughs> There's no way around it. No, <laughs> no, so. My point is that every time you use the word prachar, you are using the word achar inside it. So every time you say prachar, 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 the wind will flow back to you and say achar, achar, achar. We'll ask you, so where, is, where are you in your behavior? What is your conduct? How you are conducting yourself in practice? In that measure, you can share that with others. In that measure, the prachar will be just a natural organic extension, outpouring overflowing of your own experience. You don't even need to think in terms of, I will do prachar. It just goes from your pores and touches other heart. 
uh, and that should be from that place, from a genuine place. Again, Prachar is not so much, as I also mentioned in my book, it's not necessarily giving a book. I mean, I'm not against giving a book, but it's not that by giving the book, I did, I did the Prachar thing. <laughs> no, sometimes you can just be present to that person with unconditional love and acceptance, and there's no book in between. There's just a heart in between, <laughs> and that's enough. And I can just force you to take a book and, and grab from you some donation. And I haven't reached your heart. I just reached your pocket. <laughs> and I got what I wanted, which was money. And you didn't get anything from me, actually. You didn't get, yeah, you got a book, but you didn't get unconditional love and acceptance. And probably you take the book and throw it to the trash bin after five minutes. So that's not prachar. That's the opposite. That's anti-prachar in the name of prachar. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so the goal of life is to fall in love with Krishna constantly. And again, prachar is, is just a consequence of falling in love with Krishna. Because again, you will be sharing with others. You can share with others what you have. As much as you have fallen in love with Krishna, you can make others fall in love with Krishna. So, so prachar is not so much that will will take that which will take me to the goal, but it's more like a byproduct of me getting close, having getting close to that goal. So if I do prachar from that place of first practicing, going deep, and extending to others the results of that, of course that prachar will nourish my own practice, and my practice will nourish my sharing. But the two of them has to be have to go in line. But I will. I, I'm not the person, and I'm not condemning or criticizing those who who choose to emphasize this more than me. But <clears throat> I wouldn't say that prachar or preaching sometimes maybe say this the highest thing. I mean, that what what does it mean? That I mean, doesn't mean that someone who does not. I mean, Gorky Shore does Babaji. He never distributed books. That that means I'm higher than him. Because he was a bhajan anandi, hmm? hmm? Prabhupada Bhakti Center will say a, a goshtyanandi is a bhajan anandi who is preaching. Again, goshtyanandi is those who share with others, but that person is a bhajan anandi first and foremost, someone who has, finds his or her ananda in bhajan, in practice, and it's a bhajan anandi who extends that to others. So first and foremost, we we have to be bhajan anandis. We have to find some taste in bhajan. And whatever taste we find, that's the thing we can extend to others. That's the experience we can give them. If you have no taste in bhajan, what are you giving to other people? <clears throat> Again, numbers. Numbers can be there, will be always there, but Krishna doesn't care for numbers. He's very bad at mathemat mathematics, basically. No. <clears throat> He has unconditional love, no? So he's not calculating you know, how much you deserve. I will give you. He's he's not calculating that. He's bad at math. So, and we have so many examples in the scriptures of people who attain their lives without preaching, so to say. I mean, if you overemphasize preaching, preaching, preaching. Uh, so, what about the main examples on, on our tradition? I mean, Arjuna was a warrior in the battlefield. He was not distributing books. Pariksit Maharaj was a king who just listened Harikata, just listened Harikata for seven days. He didn't distribute any in a book in the meantime. They didn't have like book distribution breaks 
in the seven days of the Bhagavad Saptaha. <laughs> and he attained perfection. Rupa Goswami mentions the 64 Angas of Bhakti. And he gives it so many ways to engage in Bhakti. And he says, through each of these forms, you can attain perfection. He may give the example of Chandra Kanti, a lady who danced for Krishna, danced in front of the altar for a whole night. One night in a row danced, and he attained Golok Vrindavan. No book distribution in between. Sorry. <laughs> Again, I'm not against book distribution. Try to get my point. I'm just saying, let's not be narrow-minded and not suffocate certain ways of seeing Krishna consciousness to a suffocating place of only in this way can be done. Only if you do this, you are the highest. If you don't do this, you are lower than the highest because it becomes just an elitist dynamic there. No. Okay, I'm distributing books. I mean, I've I have distributed books for years, especially in my beginning years as a brahmachari. Again, it was it was beautiful. I have nothing against that, but and I've seen those sometimes those elitistic dynamics, like like the book distributors were kind of the, at the top of the pyramid, and and then came whomever, no, pujaris or cooks and whatever you have. They have. And that's not that's not healthy. No, no, nowhere in the scripture Krishna is demanding you become a book distributor and I will especially love you more. I mean, he's not saying that anywhere. No. So he's Baba Grahi Janardana. He's taking the essence of our offering, whatever that may be. If you study the Bhagavatam, I mean, there there are no book distributors in the Bhagavatam. There are not book distributors in the Chaitanya Chaitanya. There were no books in one sense. Almost at that point, <laughs> no. But there was a sharing of the knowledge. There was Harikata. There was Shravan Kirtan. There was exchange of hearts. If you want, you call that prachar. It's okay. Now, prachar doesn't mean just get new people. I mean, we are doing prachar now, here. Prachar. I, I'm not trying to convince you to become a devotee. We are just nourishing our devotional life. That's prachar, also. No, Krishna says that in the Gita. No, Bhagavad Gita 10 9. My devotees get together with one another, enlighten one another, talk perpetually about me, enlighten one another, nourish each other. That's prachar. There are different ways of engaging in prachar. So again, sometimes we 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 end up boiling it down to a very reductionistic notions. Preaching means going out and bring new people. No, not necessarily. <laughs> no. Who preaches to the preachers, so to say? I'm preaching to the preachers. It's not to preach about how to preach to the newcomers. <laughs> um, because sometimes that can be the problem. You end up, the Preaching ends up being... Giving a class means to preach, and the class is all about how to preach to those who do not know Krishna consciousness and become devotees. But what about those who are already devotees, so they become more devotees? Because we are devotees, but there are degrees of devotion, unlimited. And we can, we have to go deeper into that. We need certain spaces and sh ways of sharing that we can grow in our bhakti. No, it's not that I'm already devotee and now I have to go. My duty is to go out and, and, and convert the whole world. How converted I am. Not that I have a new name and, and, and a theft of hair here and whatever, some fancy new clothes. That doesn't mean I'm fully converted. 
I, I may have received my my burned banana, uh, my no dark thing here, and had my okay. Now you're initiated, but initiation is a process. It's not a one-time performance. It's an ongoing affair. So, so anyhow, some thoughts I'm, are coming to my mind just to make clear. Uh, because, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Anuttam Chitra, I know that's in the air and, and devotees speak in those terms, but also it's important to to take those words to the root. So where where is this in Shastra? How to put that in context? How to understand that, that emphasis? What does it mean? Because if not, we just isolate certain statements and overemphasize them and create some decontextualized uh, highlighting of something at the cost of something else. And that's that's not non-negotiable. No. So, so it's, it's, of course, someone is engaged in sharing the message officially, great. But if someone is engaged in painting, or in dancing, or in writing, or in worshiping the deity. I mean, everything can be potentially bhakti. That's what Jiva Goswami says, Sangha Siddha Bhakti. So you can attain perfection in so many ways. I mean, is Chandra Kanti, this lady dancing in front of Krishna, attaining perfection less than a book distribution book distributor who hasn't attained perfection yet? <laughs> so, so again, we have to remain saragrahi. We have to remain essentialists. And, and not be distracted by outer forms. And I'm, I'm, and again, I'm prachar. There are so many ways of prachar and so many levels of conception. No, like we were talking just to conclude, because again, two of you have your hands raised still. So, <clears throat> for example, when when Krishna says in the Bhagavata Napari, "Ham nirabadya sanjyansa sadhu kritam bibudayu sapiva jamava jandur jaragiha srinkalasam brishchetat bapratiyatu sadhana." It's a very beautiful concluding verse of chapter 32, 10th canto. And then Krishna is saying to Radha and the gopis, I cannot repay the love you have for me. I mean, even if I will try over a day of Brahma, but at the same time, Sanatana Goswami comments that the Sanskrit can be understood in a way that Krishna is saying, although I cannot repay for your love, I will try to come once in a day of Brahma as a sadhu, as a devotee, and will try to repay the love you have for me. And that attempt of repayment will be in the form of spreading your glories. I will try, Krishna is telling to Radha, you love me so much, and your love is of such nature that creates such a need of service that I will praise you and glorify you by going to the world, singing your glories, and making devotees for you. Krishna is saying to, to Radha, I will go as Mahaprabhu, and I will make devotees of you, Sri Radha, so they can assist you and serve you. So that's a, a that's prachar also, <laughs> but that's a very different way of conceiving prachar. No? Instead of we have to increase the numbers of the congregation and get more money, no, we have to get more recruits to 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 alleviate the the service necessity of Sri Radha in eternity. That's my main motivation for preaching. Wow, that's something different. <laughs> That's the ultimate prachar, if you will, the, the, the deepest conception from which you are extending the gift to others. Because you are aware of how much need of service is in the higher ranks. That there are, there are never enough recruits, so to say. So from that place, you can also engage in prachar. But that's with a very different sambanda, with a very, very different conception. 
So I'm just sharing a few thoughts here and there in connection to this so we can open, hopefully open our perspective of uh, how, in one sense, prachar is not the only thing, but if it's the only thing, how it can be addressed from so many depths, degrees of depth and so on. So thank you for your question. And as you already know me, it's difficult for me for, to stop speaking. Uh, and each question deserves minimum a class of its own, but we are open to receive other questions. So at least a trailer and gradually we continue internalizing that. So thank you. We'll go to Nicholas thank you now. Much. Thank you. Yeah, Nicholas, you can unmute yourself. Hi, Krishna. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. I haven't used this computer in a while, so making sure it's all functioning. Um, Working fine. Thank you. So um, a friend of mine who's also here, just unable to speak, and I, um, we kind of stepped away from Bhakti a while ago and um, for many things that are listed in your book and found ourselves in Zen, in, in, a, in a Zen community. We were in a town that doesn't really have any center and um, the center that I used to go to just a lot of like really unhealthy things that made me step away personally. Um, so anyways, I'm, I'm studying theology in school. And um, so I, I do a lot of comparative theology specifically between Christianity and Zen and Buddhism now. And um, so I really appreciate the way that you're using comparative theology as well, specifically with Christianity is so fruitful. I almost feel like at times that I want to do a PhD comparing <laughs> Vaishnavism and um, Christianity because there's just such a fruitful dialogue there. So my work is specifically comparing Buddhism and Christianity. So essentially, my question is, I know in your book, and I think it's the radical prayer section, you say that moments of silence are also essential. And I mean, in my humble opinion, Zen practitioners are, you know, very familiar with moments of silence. They, they have a lot of silence in their days. And um, my friend sent me this quote from the Bhagavatam this week. It's like a book two, chapter nine, verse three. As soon as the living entity becomes situated in his constitutional glory and begins to enjoy the transcendence beyond time and material energy, yet one gives up the two misconceptions of life, I and mind and thus become fully manifested as the pure self. So I guess my question is, I know you speak a lot about oneness. In what way is that being like no self? Or is that self? Like how can you have not mine or I, but still have radical personalism? And if you could say maybe just very briefly how someone can engage in two traditions, or if that's fruitful, or what your opinion is on those things. Okay. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> well, to begin with, happy to, I mean, not only to talk to you now, Nicholas, or to Anutam, and to some others, somehow other, I've been in touch via email or message, and now it's a little bit more, not yet three-dimensional, bi-dimensional, 2D, Hopefully at one point 3D, 
and more, but <laughs> happy to get to know a little bit more of you. And also, again, about your engagements, very fruitful uh, projects, like painting or being a theologian and comparing traditions. I mean, there's a lot of interesting experiences there. And I personally also find myself very drawn to that on some level, at least. Uh, it's very something that I really enjoy uh, and I, I continue doing. So, so you were mentioning a few things. Of course, I'm not as familiar with Zen as that may be with Gaudiya Vaishnavism or with, even with Christianity and as you are with Zen. So I, I don't like also to talk too much about something that I know on certain level only. So I can only talk on that. So I, I all, all open to for correction uh, if I miss, I'm misrepresenting a particular tradition, including mine. <laughs> um, but in general, yes, yeah, you mentioned in, in not in all Buddhist circles, but in generally, you may find the notion of anatma there, or like the, the non-acceptance of an eternal ontological being, so to say, as, as our identity, and, and mostly the, the expressions will be in terms of emptiness and and so on. In our tradition, of course, it's a different tradition. We, we can compare traditions as you are doing. We can study them. And also, we have to be open to the point that it's not that we will find an exact parallel between every tradition with every tradition. Because if not, at one point, they will be all the same in every single sense. And, and they are not. And there's diversity. And it's okay. <laughs> so in our particular tradition, and you are mentioning, you are quoting this verse about the I and mine, which is a very classical uh, one-liner throughout the Bhagavatam. There are many verses which refer to this ahammameti in Sanskrit notion, ahammameti, ahammameti, ahammameti. And, and, and you are asking with good reason, okay, for us Gaudiya Vaishnavs, we, we posit the possibility of an eternal, radically personal <laughs> connection with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. What about the aham, no, the, the I, the sense of I? There's no sense of I, or the mind, the source of mind. So the aham, the I am mind is in a particular context there. The I am mind has to do with a, a sense of I derived, but what I think belongs to me on a material platform. That that's that's a particular context in which this I and mind is described in these statements as something that it's transcended in the point of enlightenment, so to say. It's not that all sense of I and all sense of mind is doing away with, but it refers to the platform, which basically speaks about dualistic, uh, materialistic sense of identity, where, where I think that I am what I have. No? My sense of mind is informing my sense of I. So the more, let's say, to give just a very gross example, the more material possessions I have, the bigger I am. Many people think like that. Many people orient their lives like that. The more I have, the more I am. The more things belong to me, the, the, the greater I am, whatever, the better I am. Although by definition, all those things on the material platform that you think belong to you, do not. <laughs> hmm. Uh, so the uh, I and mind, the hammameti, has to do with this, like to a constructed 
sense of self, which uh, is founded on on a misguided sense of proprietorship or possessiveness. That said, interestingly, when you go to okay, our our idea of enlightenment is the ultimately divine love, and the main quality of divine love, if you study Rupa Goswami's work, is mamata, and mamata means possessiveness. <laughs> so we are back full circle. No, that's what sometimes bhakti say to be difficult to understand, because it seems mundane, mundane on the outside. Now, a devotee is not rejecting the world. It's not living like in a cave with 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 loincloth and covered in ashes, which is overtly, outwardly. Now, some people think, oh, if you have long dreadlocks and just dress in ashes, you are very spiritual. But you are more spiritual than someone who do do not do that. Something like that. <laughs> but bhakti seems ordinary. It seems like there's not too many too much difference between you and everyone else. It's all about the inner conception. So a devotee will engage everything. And of course, this is a very lofty idea which shouldn't be abused because we can very cheaply talk about oh, everything can be engaged in service of Krishna. We don't need to reject anything. But how much we are actually engaging everything in the service of Krishna internally and how much I'm just like filtering my ahamameti in between. But again, ideally... Our sense of enlightenment is the divine love and prem, divine love, is the main attribute defined by Rupa Goswami's mamata or a sense of possessiveness in the sense of a sense of my toward Krishna. Not like Krishna is my lover, Krishna is my friend, Krishna is my master. There is an, an established relationship where he's my something, and I'm of course something. I, I'm his servant, his friend, whatever. So there is a sense of I, now there is a sense of mine. I am his servant. He is my this. So you have aham and you have mamata. You have a sense of I and a sense of possessiveness. But again, that's in the context of bhakti, in the context of serving, in the context of engaging in the soul's function, so to say, in the soul's potential, not... Uh, trying to possess without Krishna in the center. So the Ahamameti that the Bhagavatam rejects, the I and mine, that it is described repeatedly in a scripture as something to be transcended for us. Because again, I understand that in other traditions, even like Buddhism, at least some branches will look forward to transcend all sense of I and all sense of mine, ultimately. So in our tradition, that's not the case. It's just transcending a certain sense of I and a certain sense of mine, which uh, does not align. Again, it's not coherent with the ultimate reality where there is a sense of I and there is a sense of mine, but it's all centered properly, properly aligned, properly coherent according to our uh, metaphysical view, so to say. So that's what I will say in connection to that. And uh, <clears throat> but it's a great question because again that I am mine appears so many times in the scriptures that if you don't clarify which one you are referring to because sometimes scripture that's an important point will take for granted that the reader understands what they are referring to in certain ways certain things so scripture will say you have to transcend the I the sense of I and mine 
but the, the scripture will take for granted the one who is reading it will understand that we are referring to the materialistic, illusory sense of iron mind, not to all sense of iron mind. But sometimes that's not clarifying scriptures, take it for granted. So we need someone to clarify that for us, because if not, we may, may end up concluding whatever. The Bhagavatam is proposing anatma or Buddhism, which again, I'm not criticizing Buddhism. I'm just saying that's not the proposal of the Bhagavatam. But we need to have that clear. Again, as I mentioned in my book, sometimes, I don't know, the scripture will speak about the guru and say you have to surrender fully to the guru. But when Shastra speaks about gurus, it takes for granted that that guru is being a, a perfect representative of what it means to be a guru. Because when you have someone serving as guru but acting wrongly, at that time you have to apply another set of criterion to that. But Shastra is not clarifying. They're just saying, Guru is this, 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 and you should surrender. <laughs> but the Shastra is taken for granted. You understand that when we say Guru, we refer to a perfect representative. When that's not happening, another criteria is to be applied. So that's on one side. And in connection to the, your other question, in terms of engaging in more than one tradition, I, I, I spent some, I mean, maybe I didn't go fully into that in my book, but I tried to 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 at least speak a little bit on, on how we can engage with different traditions in a way that is nourishing. Uh, there is a place for that. There is a reference for that in our own tradition with, I don't know, Gaudiya Vaishnavs being quoting, as I mentioned in my book, I won't repeat that now here, but I don't know, in his Sandarvas, Jiva Goswami quotes Ramanuja Sampradaya, Madhva Sampradaya, which technically are other lineages different lineages. He quotes Sankaracharya, and not only to refute him. <laughs> I mean, he quotes him a lot to refute his points, but sometimes he quotes him to support his point. And the proposal of Sankaracharya is in one sense diametrically opposed in many ways to ours. But he's finding something that useful there that can be taken, embraced. Okay, I'm quoting him in my Sandarvas. <laughs> so in that sense, there is this user-friendliness, so to say, this this permission to nourish our practice with whatever we find coherent and, and applicable from other traditions. That said, maybe that's not your question, but of course I know that there's also some nowadays concepts like interspirituality or interspiritual uh, movements where someone is not how to say, committing himself to one single lineage. And in fact, one of the guests that I have in my pre-radical podcast last year, uh, Rory McKenty, he describes himself as such, as interspiritual. So he's, and, and that's interesting because I talked with him about that because he he's very much taken from Buddhism and Christianity and Hinduism and Sufi. And, and, and I know that some, quickly we may say, Wow, that's a key tree. No, you're just like taking a little bit of everything and not committing yourself into any direction. And that's not legal. Now, sometimes those things, those voices may come. But I talked to him and he told me, actually, I'm not, how to say, I'm not in denial of surrendering to one specific path, but I have not received yet that particular call, that particular inspiration. It's not that I'm in denial of that. 
So meanwhile, I'm trying just to be open and I'm finding so much nourishing in so many directions and I don't want to, to cancel any of those doors. Uh, but I'm open also to a particular commitment in one specific tradition. And again, I know that there are some points in some traditions which may be more reconcilable than others. You know? like one thing may be like, again, we may agree with Sankaracharya on, on certain aspects, he will speak about karma reincarnation. We will speak about karma reincarnation <laughs> and so on. But we will get to a point when he may say, at the end, Brahma Satya Jagan Mitya. Now, the only real thing is Brahman and everything else is false. And we say, sorry, I disagree with that. I cannot I cannot do practice those two things at the same time without like a like not like a very clear short circuiting, so to say. So I will say that, no? My personal stance is one can learn from so many directions, from so many traditions, provided one has the maturity to do so, because if one is not properly prepared or grounded, that can be also a distraction. And again, it depends each case. If someone is not in any tradition and starts to learn from all, it's one thing. If you're already in a tradition, you open to other traditions, maybe a little different. And again, you can you can learn, you can nourish yourself, you can appreciate in one sense, you can feel we are all one in this particular aspect. And in other things, you can say we are not all one, there's difference. And how to deal with that difference, that's a whole separate conversation, how to develop proper uh, respect and capacity for conversation without becoming violent and <laughs> become, becoming fanatical, like... No, like I don't know if you have to talk with a Buddhist and the Buddhist may be technically speaking an atheist, at least in some branches, and you and you are a theist, and how you can have a conversation without jumping in each other's neck <laughs> and find points of connection and inspiration. I mean, we should how to say we should grow and mature so we can we can have those conversations if they may happen to be there. I'm not saying everyone should be having them, but we should be able to, to to have conversations and be able to learn from so many directions. If we if we find there's nothing to learn from this tradition or from this person, that speaks more about us than about the tradition or the person. I would say. <laughs> Anyhow, that that's what comes to mind now, Nicholas. So I hope that's somehow some contribution to what you asked so thank you so much for that so we go to the next question we have two more hands raised and maybe with that will be already one hour and 30 minutes so probably that will be it let's see so let's go with Sham you raise your hand you can mm -hmm. unmute yourself I seems it's quite cold there in India I can see <laughs> yes Maraj, it's very cold mm. um, I had a question a um, few days back. You suggested me to read the book called um, Prapanna Jivanam, Jivanamritam. Mm. And yes. in that book, I came across this verse and the translation goes like, one surrenders by thought, word and deed. Complete surrender in all these aspects promptly affords full success. So, Maharaj, I reconnected this with your lecture that you gave in Mayapur about prayer, where you said that when we pray, we become prayer. And, and I was wondering, Maharaj, that 
time and again our acharyas tell us to surrender completely with mind body words thoughts but maraj in our everyday life what i at least observe is that when we pray to krishna sometimes we just try to pray to him that we get out of our problems our mind is mostly our problem oriented we surrender to our mind more we surrender to our prarabdhas whatever we are going through and suddenly our consciousness shifts from achieving krishna prem to getting out of our miseries so how do we balance this maraj how do we come out of this victim mentality and really surrender through mind body deed and thoughts mm okay three more hours you have available over there i hope so <laughs> yeah that's a big topic <clears throat> yeah yesterday no yesterday no two days ago we had the nishtagosti spanish nishtagosti for those who speak a bilingual maybe you already realized that we talked about that there was a question on how to a further reflection on on the principle of surrender which is a very very important word hmm. but again as with every very important word and i mentioned that in my book on radical personalism sometimes very misunderstood as well or or very misunderstood in the sense of very limited to a certain meaning now if a word if a word is very important we have to be very careful not to limit the, the definition of the word now if surrender so if love is very important humility is so important what does it mean no and and be careful not to just say this is surrender forever because surrender is and as you mentioned cham the our charis mentioned we should surrender completely but remember this is an ongoing affair you can always surrender a little bit more <laughs> no? there's always an uh, because jiva goswami says this important thing which is saranagat sharanagati or surrender is the outer expression of shraddha or faith he says that in the bhakti sandarbha bhakti notaku repeats that also sharanagati or surrender and i'm repeating that also is the outer expression of faith so according to the faith that i have that will play out in the form of surrender mm. so, and and you can have so many limits of there's no limit to how much faith you can have therefore you, there's no limit to how much surrender you can be mm. divine love is the ultimate expression of faith if you will but divine love is ever evolving ever expanding so the same is with surrender and yes i agree many of us not to say all of us but many of us <laughs> maybe may start our approach to krishna bhakti from a place of i'm suffering i want to have less problems krishna solve my life like a pro solve so problem solving affair which is more in my book i try to mend and i know it's not easy but i mentioned this point life is not some ideally the orientation should not be so much problem solving but purpose finding no like finding a deeper sense of purpose and meaning not so much solve problems actually as i mentioned also in my book instead of trying to solve problems we should reorient our perspective and think how the problem can solve me why not 
what what I'm seeing as a problem, because pro what does it mean problem to begin with? No, because we say we have to deconstruct every single word of the sentence. And we pray to Christians to solve our problems. What is a problem? Problem is a perception I'm having of something. And the perception is a problem. <laughs> I'm having a problematic perception and that I call problem. Because what is a problem for me is not a problem from someone else. So is that objectively a problem? The external situation that knocked my door, that's the problem. But the, the guy next to me is celebrating that. It's, it's joyful because of that. So it's a problem for me, not for him. So why it's a problem for me? That's the, the real question. Not so much, Krishna, get rid me of this problem. But Krishna, allow me, help me to see how to see the real problem that makes me see so many problems outside of me. So, but Krishna is generous. He says in the Bhagavad Gita, Artha Artarti Gyani Chabaratarshava. He saying there are four types of people who approach me. One of them is <clears throat> we could say the problem solving orientation type. No? The ones who are suffering. In other words, I'm suffering. I want to stop suffering. In other words, I have a problem. I want to solve my problem. And Krishna says, I welcome them. I accept them. I'm not rejecting them. I'm not telling them. That's not the, the ultimate highest orientation. That's not the pure bhakti approach. Get out of here. Krishna is not doing that. He's accepting us as messy as we are, as broken as we are, as confused as we are, as selfish as we are, as self-centered, obsessed as we may be. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> it's not easy to transcend that. Krishna's that that I mean that should be enough expression of Krishna's unconditional love that he has accepted us into his fold with all those hidden in between the lines motivations that we ourselves are not even seeing, <laughs> in which we are unconsciously trying to manipulate him and domesticate him through prayer and through requests <laughs> and so on. And still Krishna keeps loving us and, and, and insisting and, and helping us so we can reach a deeper perspective. So deeper perspective is that. It's to, to, to grow by proper sincerity and association so I can realize, technically speaking, <clears throat> there are no problems. The, the only problem is, as, as Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta will say, I don't accept any lacking in this world. The only lacking is the lack of Christian consciousness. Which is another way of saying the same thing. I don't accept any problem in this world. The only problem is our lack of Christian consciousness, which makes us cease problems. <laughs> so, so my point is, if I understand that, at least in theory, I can start to approach Krishna from another place. Instead of Krishna help me to solve this problem, is Krishna show me where is the real problem hmm. and help me to, to fix it, of course. But the real problem is always in our own minds. Hmm. Of else's mind has their own problems, but <laughs> but we have to take full responsibility for what we can do to, to fix the issue on ourselves that Krishna says in the Gita, Vandurat Madmanastasya Jinadmai Badmanajitraha, Anadmanastasatrutebartitatmaivasatrubat. Mind can be the enemy or the best friend. So the potential is there. 
in a problematic way or to perceive reality. Hmm? Realizing Vishwam Purnam Shukayate. That's what Prabhupada Sarasvati concluded. The whole universe is full of joy. Th that's what I mentioned in my book. And I know it sounds over the top, <laughs> but <clears throat> the scriptures say that the vision of the highest devotees, Krishna is everywhere. Everything is in Krishna, Krishna is in everything. How can there be a problem? And you may say, but Maharaj, that's the vision of the highest devotee. I'm not the highest devotee. Okay, so you have a, we have a license <laughs> to not see Krishna and to see problems and to pray for all this stuff. But nonetheless, we should remind ourselves, but the vision of the highest devotee means how reality looks like. How reality is properly seen is how it is seen through the lens of a pure lover. So if from a proper perspective, there are no problems, it means there are no problems, even if I see them. So what, what remains is, what do I have to do to stop seeing problems? First, I, 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 I have to start seeing the problem, the problem <laughs> that creates so many problems outside and work on that. And that's surrender. And that's serenity also. In the first two aspects of surrender, you have that. Anukulyasa sankalpa pratikulyasa varjanam. Which means accept whatever is favorable for bhakti and reject whatever is unfavorable. So it's favorable for bhakti that we take responsibility that whatever problems we perceive are filtered through our own problematic mind. That's the first ang of bhakti. And reject the unfavorable. Reject the tendency to allow yourself to see problems outside and in so many other people without first dealing with your own, with our own main problem, which is avidya the root cause of all other symptoms of problems. So I never use the word easy, as I always say, and I will never use it, in, at least in this connection. Uh, but that's surrender. It's, it's, that's a way of, of demonstrating. So surrender doesn't mean, Jai Gurudev, I surrender, so you tell me what to do and I do it. Sometimes that type of surrender is an evasion evasiveness of responsibility. Just I want to have someone in my life to tell me what to do so I don't have to think for myself. But I consider myself, I'm totally surrendered. But actually you are not willing to take responsibility for you as an individual. To real surrender, you ultimately means to think for yourself. As Prabhupada will say, I want all of you to be independently thoughtful people. That's surrender. <laughs> You need freedom. To, you need freedom is crucial for surrender. <laughs> but the, the real thing is, what do you do with that freedom? That's how you show your surrender. So, so yeah, again, there is a license. Krishna, help me with this. This situation is problematic. Help me. But what, what do you? What do we? The question is, what do we mean by that? I just want Krishna to throw some magic, and create relief from suffering. But the problem is that. The root of that suffering has not been uprooted. It's just temporary relief. Krishna will do it. Okay, you are asking me just temporary relief to suffering. Okay, there you go, some magic. Ah, thank you. So nice. But still the root cause that take, took us to experience suffering, that situation is still there. So it will happen again and it will happen again. And the thing is we will address Krishna 
always from that place and until and all, until we realize i don't think this is working <laughs> i don't want just to remember god when i'm suffering that doesn't sound too loving the goal of life is to love krishna <laughs> and if i only call you when i'm in trouble that's not so romantic you know <laughs> if i only call you when i'm in trouble help me help me I, i'm in trouble again i love you by the way <laughs> And it's like, Krishna is like, come on, that's not love. Don't cheat yourself. So, but out of his love, he accepts us from that place. But we have to understand that he's accepting us, but he wants us, he wants to see us grow also. He wants to see us become all that we can be. Perfect, pure, mature lovers, responsible people who will approach even God from a place of commitment and service uh, and not so much relief 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 because god ends up being like a anxiety pill or something like that <clears throat> oh, i'm suffering god help me now i've seen devotees who chant japa just to like to like an anxiolytic i don't know if you were use that word in english anxiolytic it's like a medicine to calm anxiety so i'm chanting japa because i'm i'm a lot in, in anxiety and i say okay i prefer that you do that instead of drinking beer but that's not the ideal motivation to call krishna just only when i'm in anxiety calm my anxiety calm my anxiety okay anxiety is calm but you are not going deeper than anxiety is a symptom of the real problem so we need to go beyond the symptom get to the root cause of the whole thing and work on that not just krishna relieve the symptom but don't take me to the root to the actual problem i don't want to see that just relieve me the symptom Krishna said, that's totally superficial. That's not deep. That's not committed. That's not love. So, so if we are sincere and that surrender, we want to surrender. I want to get to the root of the things. And that's radical. Again, radical, personal, radical, whatever. Radical means let's go to the root of, of, of everything. Not just on the surface of everything, on the symptoms of things. Let's go to the cause, to the causal uh, domain. And let's confront the causal domain. It may be heavy, it may be difficult, it may be painful, but I don't want to cheat myself. I don't want to live my whole life just sugarcoating my, my, my spiritual life and just asking Krishna to relieve from, from symptoms when I'm not doing anything to change that. It's a form of exploitation at one point. So, so yeah, something like that. Again, I, with this, I'm not saying... That can happen from one day to another, not making any pressure like all of you are not doing that, so you are this, better you feel lots of guilt and shame. I'm not saying that, but that's that's what it is. <laughs> Each one of us has to do, okay, what do we do with that? How do we, again, be coherent and behave accordingly? So a few words on surrender, Sham. I hope that helps. Again, it's just touching one point of an infinite line, so many things we are saying. So, there's one raised hand by Nicola Wagner. So, yes. can, you remind, can you remind me your devotional name? Because I know uh, you have... My devotional name is Nanda Patni. Nanda Patni, yeah, I remember you mentioned that soon. Pleasure yeah. to meet you in person, Nanda Patni. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Very nice discussions. Um <clears throat> I may, I want to offer a, a reflection on an earlier subject matter that yeah. came up about the hierarchy of preaching. 
And I wanted to go back to a historical context uh, where um, in the 60s and 70s, uh, Srila Prabhupada used us as his army. I mean, ostensibly, he was kind of the major general for Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Bhaktisthan mm -hmm. Saraswati. And, you know, we were his soldiers and his dancing puppets. And, I mean, I remember when I joined the movement, I, I went out on the first day uh, distributing roses and, and back to Godheads. And it went on and on from there. But there was such a beauty to this because although we we run qualified as such, Srila Prabhupada was carrying us uh, as his emissaries of his written words, the Brihad Madranga. And <clears throat> um, it, all that Lakshmi uh, sustained the all the temples that were bought and run and all the deities that were installed and the and the and the building of Mayapur and Vrindavan and Bombay. And you know, it really was uh all hands on deck, you know, and, and yes, it was it was thrown around that this was the highest, this was the highest. But at the time, uh everybody totally acknowledged and we kept getting these messages back from Srila Prabhupada that this gave him the highest pleasure because it enabled him to publish the Srimad Bhagavatam in full and the Chaitanya Charitamrita and all his books. So I, I just wanted to offer that as the context because it's such a beautiful context. It was historically such a beautiful context. And I understand that there were elements that were misused in terms of ranking and all that mm. sort of nonsense that, that began to happen. But I just wanted to give the kind of purer element of its uh, beginnings and its foundations, because I was out there from the first day I joined, you know, and I'm well aware of having no qualification otherwise than, you know, chanting my rounds and Srila Prabhupada accepting me. So anyway, I just wanted to offer that because it is a very beautiful history. And I wanted to Thank share you. that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nanda Patni. And yeah, I totally agree that when one makes this his, the traveling time, so to say, like go into those times, of course, I was not there at least not in this lifetime, <laughs> but I remember one of the first books I read was the, the Lilambrita, and of course you travel in time and you go into all the the intricacies of, of Prabhupada's arriving to the West, and and you connect with, of course, our particular line in connection to, by this I mean mean the Bhaktinoth Parivar, Bhaktinoth Thakur, Bhaktisiddhanta Sajbhai Thakur, and this special concern of uh, not, not only making the the message available in every direction, but also, yeah, interacting with modernity and remaining relevant and relatable for the sense, the present sensibilities. So, so all that is has I remember in my very beginning was so, so inspiring because of course if that wouldn't be there, I wouldn't be reading that book at all to begin with. And then, I don't know. so, 
I'm totally, how to say, in for the historical journey and appreciation of how things happened. And of course, I try to also emphasize the point, which I think it was clear, I have nothing against book distribution and prachar. But sometimes this and any, it's beyond, it goes beyond this. Every, every, any other idea of con Christian consciousness, any other aspect of Tlakti can be sometimes distorted or misrepresented or conceived partially without bad intention, just, and it becomes in time, it, it ends up meaning something. That's why I began with the meaning of the words. And we may start using the word preaching, which at 50 years ago meant something, and maybe after 50 years means something something else. Now, it's, diffi it's difficult that one single word has the same meaning after 50 years. Mm -hmm. it's, it's generally not possible, any word. <laughs> if, if you ask people from that time or, or ourselves at that time. And also, I like to always balance, because of course, I know of, of the of the statements <clears throat> of, on, of about Srila Prabhupada and on expanding the message or sharing. But also I think it's important to bring to the table everything that Prabhupada says. And Prabhupada says many other things which are not going against that, but it's just adding nuance to that. No, like Prabhupada will say, I prefer one devotee that remains as a devotee than a new devotee. Which doesn't mean he's against new devotees. <laughs> he's just making the point, I don't want new people coming at the cost as, at, of all people living. No. So, and those things are important to consider, or Prabhupada saying, I don't know, it's time to boil the milk. And I want my followers to go deeper into the, the understanding of Shastra and the practice. And so at one point, Prabhupada said, let's stop opening temples. <laughs> he said that. I, I'm not just inventing that. So, I, and I'm not saying that, that once we should stop opening temples. I'm just saying, those statements have also some meaning, some purpose historically, and we should understand, okay, why he say that? And, and of course, every time we say Prabhupada said, and this goes beyond this topic, we should be willing to put on the table everything that Prabhupada said, and that will be complex because Prabhupada says so many things, <laughs> and in certain topics, it may seem that he said things that seem contradictory, or conflicting, and you need to. We need to engage in, and not only prop, but I mean, it can happen in many directions, and we need to engage in reconciliation. No? Like I, I don't know the classical example, and I don't want to go there. That's the whole topic. But nobody falls from Vaikuntha. You fall from Vaikuntha. You have to do something with that. We cannot just cherry pick uh, statements. So we need to, as you say, travel in time, be historically astute. And, and appreciate the charm and the value of, of of what happened at every any given time, without without canceling uh, whatever has been said before that or after that or, or whatever. No, so I'm saying this also to to add nuance to who Prabhupada is, what he said, and his his. Of course, I won't deny he was all into preaching or prachar sharing the message, expansion. He was totally Shaktivish avatar, empowered by Nityananda Prabhu to, to reach to so many places that without that, we, sh we wouldn't have him this conversation now. <laughs> so basically, we are a byproduct of that. I mean, there's no point in denying that. And, and in honor of that, of course, in, in service to that, I think it's also, I feel I feel the inspiration to, to also highlight that side of Prabhupada who, who will emphasize I want you to be a pure devotee. No, someone once asked him, like, 
what service can I do that will please you the most? No. And and many will think, okay, he will say distribute books. <laughs> and maybe he said that to some, that's my point. But to some other, he said different things. To some other, he said, just love Krishna. Of course, just, no, of course, it's, it's a whole thing, but not like become a lover of Krishna. In other words, attain pure love. So, so, so I think that's, and again, it goes beyond this topic. It goes beyond proud, but it, it's, it's about how we approach life in itself, like allowing all the things that have been said and done and how we can integrate all of them and develop a holistic vision and, and, and ask ourselves in the service of Prabhupada, in the service of the Parampara, okay, what will be Prabhupada saying now? That's also another question, because he said some things, he emphasized some things historically, but after 50 years, will he emphasize the same things in the same way, another things in another way? Probably. I'm not saying he will be canceling everything he said, but I, 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 will, I wouldn't say he will be saying exactly the same things as he said them 60 years ago. <laughs> because the world, Patra, right? Yeah, exactly. It's because the world Patra. changed so much and Prabhupada himself continues growing and evolving and expanding like any other pure lover of God. So, and of course, the reply to that question, because you someone may say, well, okay, Prabhupada will say something else, but he's not here with us to say it. Yes. So the point is, we should say it. <laughs> That's Parampara. What the previous Acharya said, what the previous Acharya will be saying now, should be, be should be should be said through those who are representing the previous Acharyas. That's how we give continuity and substance to Parampara. It's not just like a copy paste from the past, but it's also a living representation in 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 alignment, in tadatmya, in empathy with the inner spirit. Okay, I'm so connected with Prabhupada. I mean, I'm not speaking about me. I'm just saying. Someone is so connected with Prabhupada and so in how to say so aligned in empathy that that person is kind of channeling, if you want to use that word, like the, the essential spirit of that person and giving its shape, naming of in, in the present moment in its own unique way. Well, that, that's that's parampara, and that's of course a big responsibility and big commitment. In one sense, it's easier to say Prabhupada said, and we have to do it like that than. Asking what he will be saying, and I have to be able to say that myself <laughs> in proper representation. That's that's way big challenge, but that's a beautiful challenge, and that was in, what it means, at least for me to to serve Prabhupada, to serve our previous acharyas, and to be part of a living tradition. So, anyhow, some extra reflections based on what you share, and the patni. So, thank you for thank triggering you. me or something. Something else to be sure, triggering the proper way. Udipana, stimulant. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Kijai. <laughs> so almost here is 3 p.m. And to be honest, I have also some visitors and some other things to, to do. Uh, but we have been almost two hours. So I think we have enough time, as we said in the beginning, to process and hopefully continue ruminating on that during the week until we meet uh, next Saturday. And we can continue uh, plumbing the depths of our hearts all together. So thank you so much for your presence, for joining us today. And welcome again to the Tadadmia journey. And I'm very happy to, to see all of you there. And 
my affection and my respect to all of you from Buenos Aires and to you very soon. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Sri Sri Gornitinand ki jai, Sri Sri Gorgadadar ju ki jai, Sri Sri Radha Govinda Dev ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Premanand Haribu, Vanchakal Patarubhishtha, Vipasindhu Vyayi Vacha, Patitanam Pavani Pyo, Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namo. Anantakoti Vaishnavrinda ki jai,